Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. It was John the Baptist who said of our Lord, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is, Jesus must become more and more important as I become less and less important. And we certainly need to hear his central message. His message can be summed up in one word, repent. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. In the book of Matthew, we meet this strange character named John the Baptist, calling for people to repent as he prepares them for the ministry of Jesus. Sadly, this call to turn away from sin and self isn't popular. But today on The Verdict, we're discovering why repentance is so important to our eternal salvation. Now, let's join Pastor John Monroe to introduce today's lesson, titled, Repent. Last time we began a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. We've not yet come to the teaching of Jesus as we're looking at the preceding chapters in Matthew, and we're introduced to a remarkable man, John the Baptist. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is a tremendous commendation as John is the forerunner of Jesus. He called for people to repent and was sent by God to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming Messiah, King Jesus. Repentance may to us seem an old-fashioned term, but it is an essential part of the gospel. Thanks for joining me as we continue in Matthew 3 to consider John the Baptist and the need for repentance. Let's read the first 12 verses then of Matthew chapter 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Matthew records, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his sweet into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Strong words coming from this man we call 
John the Baptist. First of all, think of his command, the central command to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remarkable, isn't it? In today's user-friendly, seeker-friendly churches, people don't seem to want that kind of message. But that's John's message. And there's a message from God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Life cannot go on as it has been going on, John is saying. You must repent. You cannot continue, as John is making clear, you can't continue to live as you once lived. Life can't continue in your own little kingdom now, having regard to this momentous fact that the kingdom of God has come and that the kingdom and that the king is about to be announced. The command is to repent. Now, what, what is John asking? What's the evidence of this repentance? Well, I'll mention three things, three interlocking things. First of all, confession of sin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes, it's time to prepare. It's time spiritually to prepare for the arrival of the King Messiah. What does that mean? It's time to repent. It's time to confess your sins. Look at verse six. And they were baptized by him, John, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Oh, that's it. That's what John is wanting. He wants people to confess their sins. Wasn't that, isn't that the primary mission of Jesus? His name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why he comes, to save people. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. Therefore, all of us must repent. You say, what, what does that mean? It means, it certainly means this. You, yes you, must confess your sins. And wasn't it wonderful that John in his gospel records that remarkable scene when John the Baptist is with his followers and he points to the king and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, John can't forgive your sins. Just because you're put under water in the Jordan, that doesn't get rid of your sins. No, there must be a personal admission of your own shortcomings. You, yes you, must repent before God. This personal confession of sin is essential. Not just saying, well, all have sinned. I'm human, all of us mess up. No, that's not good enough, is it? You've got to say, and I've got to say, I have sinned. I have messed up. I have to turn from these sins. I have to confess these sins. And without that, there is no genuine salvation. Listen to some scriptures on the confession of sin. Psalm 32, for example, prayer of David. Psalm 32, verse five, David said, I acknowledged my sin to you. It's not just we've all sinned, no. 
David is saying, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. What do we inevitably do when we've sinned? We try to cover it up. We try to point in someone else's direction. And David is saying, no, I didn't do that. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice how personal this is. A personal confession of sin. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We were singing about God's mercy. That's wonderful. I need God's mercy. Yes, you do. But there has to be acknowledgement that you have sinned. That you've messed up. You've confessed your sin. And then the wonderful verses in 1 John 1 that we love so much. 1 John 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, there it is. If we confess our sins... Here's the promise. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's the evidence of the true repentance? There is a confession of my sin. You ever done that? Confess your sins, not to someone else, but to God. No cover up to confess your sins. Secondly, of course, there was this baptism. Now, what was the baptism? This was the baptism of John. The baptism in the River Jordan was the outward sign of this personal confession of sin. Verse eight, verse six again, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Baptism then, in John's baptism and in Christian baptism, is the outward symbol of repentance and confession. If I confess my sins before God, you don't necessarily know that. If I receive Christ as my Savior, you don't know that. That's in my heart, that's personal. Yes, and it must begin there, but now, John says, I want you to be baptized. It was a symbol that they were prepared to receive the Messiah, that there was a spiritual confession of their sin. Confession of sin, number one. Two, baptism. Third, Supernatural change. See, John baptizes with repentance, but notice verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, the Lord Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, yes, I can baptize you with water, but there's someone coming after me, and I'm telling you to be ready to receive him when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire is a purifying agent. So Jesus can say to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And then he says, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God to be baptized by the Spirit of God. 
Oh, you can't conjure that up, can you? (laughs) No, this is something supernatural. This is the very life of God coming into the soul of the individual. A dramatic rebirth. Confession of my sin. A receiving of Christ. And as I receive Christ, the very spirit of Jesus indwells me and that leads to a changed life. Now it's possible that an individual can say he or she has confessed sin. It's possible for that individual even to go through the waters of baptism. But the question is, the question I ask you, all of you, has there been a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and your life? See, when this happens, there is change. Jesus is saying, uh, John is saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had plenty of religion, who knew their Bibles, to escape the coming wrath, there must be genuine repentance. Verse eight, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, this repentance, this salvation, it's not just saying a prayer. It's not just saying words. It's not just going through some ritual, whether it's baptism or any other ritual. No, this is something radical, something supernatural, something which only God can do. That's why it's called conversion. It's called being saved. It's called being born again. It is a supernatural work which leads to a changed life. So Paul says, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Yes, Jesus comes to save us from our sins. Not so, please hear me, not so that we can continue in our sins and say, well, after all, I am saved. What kind of salvation is that? No. True salvation results in bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. When I placed saving faith in Christ as a boy of 12 at the Christian youth camp, our theme chorus, certainly one of them, I'd never heard it before. But after I was saved that week, I sang it. I'd sung it at the beginning of the week when I wasn't saved, but after I was saved, the truth of it hit me. And I'm glad that I learned this lesson early on in my Christian faith. The little chorus was there. Some of you know it. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened to me when I gave my heart to Jesus. A good song for a little boy to understand then that if I had truly been saved, I could not continue to live as I formerly lived. Things were different. Something happened. How can you claim to have received the living Christ? How can you claim to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and to continue to live as you once lived before you came to Christ? No, the fruit of the Spirit 
Paul explains in Galatians 5, is supernaturally produced in the authentic believer. No, we're not perfect. Yes, we fail. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we sin. We read the scripture. If you say you've got no sin, you deceive yourself. But there is a radical change. You're saying, well, John, I I thought you preached that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. Yes, I do. I believe that with all of my heart. And will continue to preach it as the Lord enables me. But as is often said, although we're saved by faith alone, the faith which saves is not alone. Paul says in that powerful passage in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, yes, that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our works, our change of life, the spiritual fruit, is not the condition of our salvation, but it is the consequence of our salvation. Let me ask you this. How can you profess to have Jesus Christ residing in you and you continue to live as an unbeliever? You say, well, years ago I said a little prayer. I'm not doubting you said a little prayer, but if there's not a change in your life, I am questioning And asking you to ask yourself this question before God, has there truly been salvation in my heart? Have I embraced a churchianity, a false Christianity, rather than truly knowing Christ? What evidence in your life is that you've been saved? If I went to your office, to your bank, to your school, and spoke to people who know you. If I came to your home and spoke to your parents, to your brothers and sisters, to your husband, your wife, your granddad, and said, tell me about so-and-so. Is, is, there, is there anything in your life that would indicate that there has been this remarkable change in your life? You see, true repentance, John is saying, leads to change. Now, very quickly, the consequences of not repenting. I, I, like, I like John's style of preaching. I, I can't say I would have enjoyed hearing it. It must have been terribly convicting because John is the one who goes direct to the issue, doesn't he? And he's telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, yes, and he's telling us that if you don't repent, there's serious consequences. He gives them a direct warning in verse seven when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers. He's not politically correct, is he, John? We, We need to kind of a little chat with him. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Oh, they said, we're children of Abraham. We've got this wonderful Jewish heritage, John. We're all right. I can tell you what tribe I'm from. I I, I can quote the law. And John is saying, yes, you've got all of that. Physically, they were from their father Abraham, but spiritually they were not true sons of Abraham. Why? They had not repented. They had not believed in the gospel. And some of you here have a very, very impressive spiritual heritage. You were, you're from a godly home. You had godly grandparents and parents. 
You've been raised in good churches. And it's very, very impressive. You, you know the phrases. You know the religious platitudes. You, you know the right answers. But John is saying to these men, as the Spirit of God is saying to us, yes, but do you know salvation? Has there been true repentance? Radical and personal repentance is needed. They will be known by their fruit. Notice verse 10, that if there is no fruit, the tree is going to be cut down and what? Thrown into the fire. See, with the coming of the kingdom of God, there is an announcement of coming judgment. And John uses very graphic language, doesn't he? Notice verse 12, his, that's Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's the point? If you don't believe, if your heart is not right, if you've not truly confessed your sins, certain judgment is coming. You're saying we have this religious background and John is saying when the Messiah comes, he's gonna cut down that false tree and he's gonna throw it into the unquenchable fire. Paul writes of the time, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Yes, that's it. Repent. Here is God's grace. Here is the offer of salvation. Confess your sins, receive Christ, look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But understand this, if you do not, when the Lord Jesus comes, he's coming with fire and with judgment and all those who do not know God, all those who do not obey the gospel will be thrown into that lake of fire which burns forever and ever. You say, John, do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that. I believe it because it's taught in Scripture. I realize it's a fearful doctrine, but it's true. The kingdom of heaven is near. What's your response today to King Jesus? Repent. You're listening to The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and the end of a powerful message titled, Repent. If you want to revisit any part of this lesson or perhaps share the link with a friend or on social media, you can easily do that anytime on our website at theverdict.org. And as a special addition to this new series, we're offering a helpful companion resource that gets to the heart of Christian living. It's a booklet by John called Life in the Kingdom, and it deals with what it means to follow Christ as taught by Jesus Himself in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus speaks about how His followers are to live their lives each day. And right now, you can request a free copy of Life in the Kingdom by visiting our website at theverdict.org. While you're there, be sure to also sign up for our monthly email list to get the latest ministry news and insights from John. Here at The Verdict, we're committed to sharing and teaching biblical truth on a daily basis, and we invite you to be a part of this gospel work throughout this new year by supporting our ministry with a financial gift of any amount. When you give, you help bring these Bible programs to your community 
and around the world. So please make a special New Year's donation today by going online to theverdict.org or call us at 833-551-2231. You can also send a check through the mail. Just address your envelope to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? I'm still asking if you've repented. King Jesus has come. And as we heard from John the Baptist, if you don't repent, judgment is coming. Are there signs, is there evidence in your life that you are an authentic follower of Jesus? Have you acknowledged your sin? Now is the time to examine your faith, to repent of any known sins and to follow the Master, the Lord Jesus, and so enter the kingdom of heaven. Next time we'll continue in Matthew 3 and think of the baptism of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.